the the environment that diving creates, I think, is very unique, and it's it's given me a lot of parallels into my professional life and personal life as well. Because、um, in order to be good at diving, right, you have to be able to be on the board. You have to show up, and when they announce your dive or you're practicing on something, you have to do it. Nobody else gets to. No one else gets to say like, "All right, tag in. I'm going to have my teammate do my dive for me." Doesn't work that way. And so it really taught this presence and being a part of a process and understanding like some things take time. You have to take it a step at a time. And and hopefully through that process, if you're around the right people, like it can turn into some really cool experiences. That is Dr. Luke Weber, and this is the Well Mind podcast. The Well Mind is a space for meaningful conversations about a broad range of wellness-related topics, with a special emphasis on our mental wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Coles. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with me here today. Up front,、uh, I have a couple of updates to share. First is that I want to give a warm welcome to Matt Maish. He's the new editor working on the show with me. He's a student here at Bethany Lutheran College, and he is working in the studio in a couple of different areas. But he's going to be helping out with the podcast. This is actually his second episode.、Uh, my conversation with Dr. Giordano. Uh, he also edited, so it's great to have him on board. He's doing a fantastic job. Welcome, Matt.、Uh, great to have you. Second is that I just got back from a trip to Arizona. Yes, Arizona in January. That was a good life decision. Okay. While I was there, I was able to provide a couple of presentations.、Um, I spent a whole day at the inaugural Men of His Word conference in Phoenix. And I just visited with lots of folks about the counseling program here at Bethany. What we're doing to to train counselors and provide support、uh, for folks that way. I also got to meet a number of listeners to the podcast. So I just want to give a shout out to the Well Mind community in Phoenix. Thank you so much for listening. It was great visiting with you. I'll come back in January anytime. So it'll be good to see you again next year, hopefully. So, all right, those are my updates.、Uh, those are the things I wanted to share. Let's get into the show. On a snowy day in January here in Mankato, yes, most days are snowy here, but this was particularly snowy. Dr. Luke Weber joined me in the studio. Dr. Luke is an athlete. He's a coach. He provides chiropractic care, and he's just an all-around good dude. It's also been a while since I was able to have somebody right here in the studio with me, so that was a fantastic time as well. Just really enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Luke.、Um, during our chat, he speaks about his time as a collegiate diver, and he competed at a very high level. So it was really neat、uh, getting to hear kind of his story and about his experiences. And then we talk about how his life on and off the board. Uh, has impacted his current role as a high school and college level diving coach. Professionally, he's also a business owner, and he provides chiropractic care through his practice at Kinetic Spine and Sport. We discuss our varying approaches to healing and helping, but really focus on the interconnectedness of our physical and mental well-being and how pain. 
can impact uh, both of them in a very interconnected way. Dr. Luke also speaks about how he sees himself as a facilitator when he's in that kind of a helping role. Just really fascinating discussion, really enjoyed my time with him. I hope that you enjoy this as well. Okay, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Luke in episode 30 of the WellMind podcast, facilitating healing and wellness. Dr. Luke Weber, thank you for coming into the studio today. It's wonderful to have you here. Yeah, very excited to be here today. You braved the snowy weather. Yeah, as a, a Minnesota native, it becomes a norm. So it's just snow. I know. Everything, the first few snowstorms, it seems like, that are like legit, everything kind of shuts down and people freak out. But by this time, everybody's kind of like, oh, yeah, this is what it is. Yep. Nothing that, new, same process. Yeah. I know my kids were excited, though, to have some uh, unexpected off time. They had snow days today. Yeah, we found out last night when we were at the high school swim meet. So it's when we're trying to wrangle them up to help us clean the pool and they find out that they have no school tomorrow. Yeah. There's a different energy. <laughs> so <laughs> Different energy. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a little bit of a different reaction, but uh, yeah, there were. Uh, it was difficult for the kids to go to sleep last night. And I, then I got up early this morning. I was, you know, had to be over to campus pretty, pretty early and two kids were already up and I'm like, what are you guys doing? It's a snow day. And they're like, yeah, exactly. So they were like totally into maximizing their off time and like they wanted to watch a show and like lounge around in their pajamas. Yeah, so, good for them. I would say that's probably a, a smaller percentage of that population. Yeah. Well, they're the younger ones. The older ones I'm sure will uh, maximize their sleep yeah, there time you go. Yep. for sure. Awesome. Well, We've got uh, a few good topics for us to talk about today. Um, you are a uh, practitioner of chiropractic care, um, and you also uh, are an athlete and a coach, and you were talking about the swim team, so we'll get into that a little bit uh, today. Uh, but <clears throat> really the focus you know, for our conversation is going to be around holistic wellness, you know, and yep. um, the fact that you specialize in practice specifically on physical wellness. Um, and for me, coming from uh, wellness from a psychological perspective, a mental health perspective, you know, that there's actually a lot of overlap between our two fields in Big terms time. of uh, attending to our emotional and mental wellness and attending to our physical wellness. And when things are off in one area, it's probably impacting the other. So I've, yeah, I'm just really excited for this conversation. I think it's going to be great um, and appreciate you taking the time to, to be here. So with that being said, help us get to know you a little bit more, Luke. Uh, tell us about yourself, um, kind of where, where you've been, um, what's kind of brought you to this point, and a little bit about what life is like for you right now. Sure. Yeah. Again, thank you for having me today. Very excited about it. Um, uh, my name is Luke Weber. So in the walls of my clinic, I guess I go by Dr. Luke or Dr. Luke Weber. Um, I'm the current owner of Kinetic Spine and Sport, which is a chiropractic clinic. So that's kind of the today. Um, we got here by being born in Mankato uh, 30 years ago. So uh, I grew up in the area, went to high school um, at West. So 
graduated as a Scarlet. We're still friends with everybody else. So I just <laughs> like to throw that out there. Yeah, there is for non-Mankato people, there is a little east-west thing that goes on in town. Yeah, that is correct. So it's a fun community dynamic. But uh, so went to West, was in an, a bunch of activities, sports. Uh, I was a choir kid. I was in the musical one year. Um, my parents were very big on just diversity of stuff. So yeah. my mom's a kindergarten teacher. So I get, I think, my teaching background for her, from her. Uh, my dad's a plumber. He just retired last year after 40 plus years in the wow. trades. Yeah. yeah. So did that, was a small business owner for a while. Mm. Um, and I, I think some magical combination of things when you combine those two careers, like chiropractic kind of really fits in the middle. Mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's a service type of thing, but it's also a big education thing. And, uh, yeah, from, I, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to do some type of patient care, always interested in health. The human mm -hmm. body is outrageously fascinating from yeah. the physical to the psychological to the human experience. So mm -hmm. um, after high school at West, I went to St. Cloud State. So I went there to continue my academics and also be on their men's swimming and diving team. So once I kind of got to the end of my high school career, um, I was kind of, I guess, late to just even thinking about the college adventure. And then once people started asking about like, do you think you're going to keep diving? I was like, what do you mean? I get to keep diving after high school? Like high school sports are just high school sports. Mm -hmm. um, but was fortunate enough to get recruited to go there. And um, after my very first visit, meeting with the coach the very first time, uh, her name's Tracy Torgerson. So um, I knew I got home. I called my friend that was also on the recruiting trip with me and said, I'm going to say yes today just so you know. Wow. Um, and we went there and had just four incredible years as a student athlete. Um, finished my biomed degree, uh, kind of a standard pre-professional degree is kind of what I tell people. And then after that, went to Palmer College uh, for chiropractic school. Where's that at? That is in Davenport, Iowa. Davenport, Iowa. Okay. Okay. So when you kind of talk about the first snow day for things, my first year down there, they had some record snow and me and my little two wheel drive car was going around town just fine. And I couldn't figure out why everything was shut down. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just a, a gift that we get to live in up here. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, no big deal for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so after four years in chiropractic school, um, finished up my internship ended up working in Northern Minnesota at a clinic for a couple of years, had a great experience, just kind of getting your foot in the door as mm -hmm. a, as a professional. And then after that, I worked a couple of years in the cities. And then at the beginning of this year, this great opportunity popped up. And I always knew that I wanted to come back home. Mankato was always home. I still have family around here and it just literally came out of left field and kind of jumped at the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't something necessarily that you were pursuing at that point, but you were open to the, that possibility and it presented itself. Yeah. So I was working with my uncle up in the cities and okay. I was on kind of a two-year contract, which contracts and stuff aren't things that you learn about at school necessarily. Okay. <laughs> um, but we got towards the end of that and we were both 
you know, the clinic was being successful. I felt as an individual, I was growing a lot. I was learning a lot. And part of that process is also learning is, is this the right fit for you yeah. or is it not? Um, cause something can still be great, but also not be the right fit. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of had an end of the year conversation and I let them know, like, really appreciate my time here. This has been an incredible experience. Long-term wise, I don't think it's the right fit. And yeah. I hope we can kind of figure out what that next transition looks like. Mm-hmm. He made a phone call to talk to one guy that evening. I called the guy the next day. Mm-hmm. We got lunch three days later and the clinic purchase agreement was already in my hands. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. of a mind blowing experience mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. And so now you are a small business owner. Like there's that kind of full circle with your, with your dad too. Yeah. Which I think one of the interesting things for me is that was never a part of my plan. Mm. I going through kind of a profession of, again, patient care and service. I always thought my 100% of my energy is going to be on my patients. Yeah. I don't want to have to worry about running a business. I want to be able to do my job, do it well and and let that take care of things okay um but then it got to that point of finding where can you do that Mm. what's the right fit and if you can't quite find the right fit then you get to create it Mm -hmm. and and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the the stepping point that i got to yeah that that's so interesting because when i was going through grad school and my master's program for counseling um i had this picture in my head that after graduation, um, kind of the thing that I would be aiming for, and it probably wouldn't happen right away, but I would, I would end up there would be owning my own practice mm-hmm. and, and being in private practice. And like, I thought, Oh, well, that's kind of like the pinnacle. That's exactly what I want to do. Um, <clears throat> and then I interned my, my second year in my master's program in a private practice. So single, single, uh, provider practice, you know, he had his own uh, office space where he would see clients and then he had some uh, satellite locations that he would travel around to because it's in southern Minnesota here. Um, and I looked at everything that he had to do and then I said, no way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I do not want to be in charge of like managing all of those uh just administrative business pieces. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's not the brain that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, okay, patient care. Right. Yep. So, so then that, that's where I have spent, uh, the vast majority of my career, whether that was in a hospital system or a nonprofit agency or residential treatment, those kind of things. Um, and I'm, I'm like, wow, that's, that's great. But, uh, so I admire you for taking that step into, what's essentially the equivalent of private practice, you know, for a counselor. And I, I just think that's, it's uh, fantastic. And, you know, you're doing a great job. I mean, obviously I'm biased here, but, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but I think uh, the clinic that you're running is just is a, a wonderful service to the community. Mm, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So talk a little bit, um, well, let's backtrack. How did you get into swimming and diving? What's the origin story there? Yeah. Um, well, it's not a, an everyday sport. So. Right. Yeah. And even the fact that it's at a high school is less common too. Correct. Yeah. And I think like our, our high school in town is pretty big. Mm-hmm. It's a decent size, right? We have 
classes between three to 400 or more. And even people at the high school didn't know we had a diving team. Yeah. And so um, I played basketball and hockey forever growing up. And then I just kind of had two incidences where I just wasn't having the experience that I wanted. And through baseball, which is another outside sport, Mm -hmm. um, one of the parents was like, hey, we heard that Luke goes to Turtle Out over the summer, the public pool. Um, He seems to like to jump into the water Mm -hmm. because my mom used to teach summer school. Oh, okay. And her, she taught at Franklin and her school is right next door. So you could either pay for daycare and send me there or you could buy me a pool pass and (laughs) and i'll learn a little independence yeah and so i was there for i think two summers fifth and like sixth grade Mm -hmm. before you could even join the swim team Mm -hmm. and then seventh grade rolled around and they're like yeah give it a shot so i kind of walked into this totally unknown realm never went to a swim meet ever okay um and it it just ended up being one of the most impactful places in my entire life like starting in seventh grade because for diving at least in the midwest we can't dive outside year-round true right (laughs) that is a today is a testament Uh, to that yeah exactly and i think where diving has a bigger presence is down south Mm -hmm. or in on the the coast yeah 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 that's typically what i would think of as swimming and diving is coastal schools yeah and so it it was just out of the norm, but the the environment that diving creates, I think, is very unique, and it's it's given me a lot of parallels into my professional life and personal life as well. Because mm-hmm. um, in order to be good at diving, right, you have to be able to be on the board. You have to show up, and when they announce your dive or you're practicing on something, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Nobody else gets to. No one else gets to say like, all right tag in. I'm going to have my teammate do my dive for me. Sure. Doesn't work that way. And so it really taught this presence and being a part of a process and understanding like some things take time. You have to take it a step at a time. And, and hopefully through that process, if you're around the right people, like it can turn into some really cool experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I never would have thought like I went to Hawaii because of diving. I went to Texas yeah. because of diving. Okay. I went all over the place and never, you know, seventh grade Luke had no idea that that would have been a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It opened a lot of doors for you. Yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think my guess would be the, the majority of people um, think about diving about once every four years. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I know for myself, I enjoy watching diving at the Olympics. Um, But what stands out to me um, is the level of precision with diving. Um, Even more, obviously the swimmers, Mm -hmm. um, I I love watching the swimming as well. Um, And I have some experience with that as a triathlete and sure. training. And so that, that seems more accessible mm-hmm. to me, but diving seems to be this really precise elite kind of exclusive group of people that are able to find success or find, you know, like opportunity in a sport <laughs> like that. Am I right at all? Or am I totally <laughs> off on this? I, I would agree with you. I think, one of the cool things about diving is it, in my mind, it takes everything. You can't just 
be able to bench press 400 pounds. That mm-hmm. doesn't make you good at diving. Um, you can't just be super fast. You can't just have like this one skill that you really lean on. You have to do it all. Yeah. And within the sport of diving, there's five categories, typically in a standard meet. You have to be able to perform all of them. So it doesn't let you hide any weaknesses. And I think that's a very unique thing in sport, right? Like you can, I play baseball. Um, I still play baseball or at least try to, but like it's one of those sports where if you throw hard, you can be a pitcher. Sure. You don't have to be in great shape necessarily. You don't have to be fast. You can hold on to that one skill and run with it. Yeah. Diving, you don't have that option. If you want to, you know, what I would say be, get to your potential. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be able to find a weakness and work on a weakness and, and then also learn how to manage that with your strengths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, <clears throat> it, it seems like there's so much pressure mm. on those divers. I mean, some of them look completely relaxed. You know, again, I'm, I'm referencing yeah, the right. Olympics. That's the only time I have seen diving in a professional sense. Um, but, but there are some athletes that, you know, I mean, they don't, they don't smile. They don't, you know, it's like they, they mm-hmm. get up stoic, do their dive, get off, you know, they go to the shower and it's like almost um, like mechanical in mm-hmm. that sense. And then there are others though, that seem very loose and mm-hmm. relaxed and they're joking around with the other divers and things like that. But when they're up on the board, there's, there seems like so much pressure up there. Like everybody's paying attention. You have like a split second to, to do this thing and it has to be perfect. Right. Yeah. I think diving taught me about stoicism before I knew what it was. Mm. Um, and that's, I've been doing a little bit more reading lately in life. Um, and that's been one of the big topics. And I think why it connects so well is that it does, it creates kind of this I, to me, diving can be kind of a chaotic space. There's a lot that can go on mm-hmm. and it all comes back to what can you control? Yeah. I have to be able to be calm enough to be in tune with my body, to be able to connect with the diving board and get it to do what I want it to do. Um, and I have to do it in a way that also objectively looks good. Mm-hmm. And so there's things that are in my control and then there's also things that are out of my control. And one of the biggest steps for me, I think, was when I was able to separate those. Everybody wants a high score. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just normal. Yeah. But if I do a dive and I get a wide variety of scores, I have to be able to accept that that's their opinion. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't let that waver one way or another because chances are I have to do another dive in like 10 minutes. Yeah. And it doesn't doesn't help me. It doesn't serve me at all to go on this roller coaster when I still have to go through my process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An incredible amount amount of mindfulness is needed, it seems mm. like, in what you're describing. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't think, I don't remember if you've said this yet, but I, I'm, you're coaching now, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so now you, you're in a position where you've, you've been there, you've competed at these, uh, at these high levels collegiately, and then, and now you're coaching and trying to train. Is it men and women that you coach or just a men's team or what is it? Yeah. So 
I, I get to work with a really cool spectrum right now. Okay. So I volunteer up at Mankato State with the yeah. women's team. So okay. the college. Um, I'm there a couple of days a week. And then I'm also the boys high school diving coach. Okay. Okay. And so I get to work with as young as sixth graders now. That's kind mm. of a new thing this year. But I go from working with sixth grader boys, which is yeah. their own population. For sure. To college young adult women mm -hmm. which is also their own population yeah. and it's been a really good eye-opener and understanding like i can't connect with each of them the same mm -hmm. necessarily mm -hmm. we have to be able to accommodate and create different things that's that's going to connect that's going to be effective in each of those yeah but you're still having to teach that like stoicism and mindfulness and presence and being able to let go mm -hmm. when bad things happen or not get like too excited when you have a great dive you know because you got to focus yep. on the next step so mm -hmm. what are i mean what are some of the tools or mechanisms that you're using to i guess nurture that in sure. whether it's the sixth grade boy or the 20 something you know collegiate athlete mm -hmm. What I found is a lot of that is just understanding them as, as a person first. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's going to respond or react to things differently. Um, we hope to get responses typically over reactions, right? Because then there's a little bit more of that mindful process to it. Mm -hmm. But when I've been able to just pick up on patterns from people and say like, hey, when I, you know, maybe if I was a little more excited with this person, they were able to be more connected to that versus, hey, this person really succeeds in a calm environment. Mm. How can I, as a coach, create those differences for each of them? But then when it comes to, we'll go back to like the stoicism again, we still want that at its core. So you end up developing like core values as a team, which is something that uh, we do at the college pretty frequently throughout the year, which I think is super helpful. But getting people to understand these are big pillars of what we're gonna do but if we can do that, then that allows us the ability to be flexible with the individuals. And that's a, a very good parallel to clinic work too. Mm -hmm. Of like at my practice, we have very strong pillars of certain things that we think are important to health, but we also have to be able to accommodate that to somebody else and figure mm -hmm. out where are they at in that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so you're operating on a, on a shared foundation, mm -hmm. but recognizing whether it's the athlete or the patient in the clinic, like they have their own individual needs and experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about fitting them into a certain mold, but Correct. working, yeah, working with who they are and probably where they're at, whether it's developmentally, um, their stage of life, um, the presenting concern, whatever right. that may be. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there are a lot of parallels here. I just think it's so, um, Again, that uh, the sport of diving is fascinating to me because I I know enough to recognize that there's so much going on there in the mm -hmm. moments preceding, during, and after you know a, a dive that it's uh, what you see doesn't probably represent the wholeness, the totality of the work that that person has put in to get to that point. And yeah. you're, you're confirming a lot of that today, that this is, you're, you're building um, over time in all of these areas to strengthen all of them. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes somebody, in, at least gives them the opportunity for excellence in that sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm 
that phrase of opportunity for excellence, I think is a huge hitting point for that uh, because you have to earn it Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And I think one of my favorite parallels, again, from diving to professional career work is I, I did an interview for an internship one time and the clinician was asking me, you know, how do you do with criticism? You know, are you coachable? And I probably should have thought a little bit more about my answer, but I told him, I was like, well, I just spent the last 10 years of my life standing on a diving board in front of a crowd, wearing my swimming suit, having to follow instructions and be successful at it. And, you know, and here are the things that I've been able to accomplish through that. Yeah. And, and he, because he was also an athlete, he's like, I get it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that gave me a really good foundation for that because there's a lot of pressure in those situations, whether you're doing a hard dive or you're doing a new dive or the competition is close or there are, you know, national championships on the line, whatever it may be, you feel that pressure mm-hmm. and then you learn to control, to succeed in it. And, you know, I feel a similar pressure in, in clinic. People come in and they're hurting and they're looking for something, some type of service, some type of hope, some type of whatever. I also have to keep my cool there because mm. if they come in with whatever they have going on and, and I lose it, mm-hmm. we're probably not going to get very far. No. All right. So last, last diving thing, at least for the immediate moment and sure. then we can transition into yep. the clinic. But I, I'm, I just am very curious what, what is it for you? Or what has it been for you when you, when you're preparing yourself to go out onto that diving board before the dive to, to center yourself or ground yourself? Mm -hmm. Like what is it specifically that you would do that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, great question. For me, my biggest thing was getting back to just remembering like, this is fun. Like, it's super hard. This is one of the, I would say the best challenges or the challenging environments that I've ever been in. But when I reflect back on all the different things that it taught me and the different people that it connected me with, at the end of the day, it's fun. Mm. And, and I just have to stick to my process, stick to my controls and, and just put forth the effort. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting that you bring up like there, when you look on a pool deck of people, huge spectrum of how people approach things and, and there's no right or wrong. Like there are some people that they can't sit down. They're literally dancing nonstop, listening to music, talking to people, and then they hear their name, they sprint to the board, they run up and they do a great dive. There's other people that are in a corner under their towel with probably not even headphones in, but just earplugs Mm -hmm. and they are as quiet and in their own world as they can be, they can walk up to the board, do a fantastic dive as well. And so it really teaches that personal connectiveness of you need to know where you are Mm -hmm. in that moment. And I I remember like my last meet in college um, at our NCAA championships, usually I'm a pretty, I wouldn't say high energy person, but I'm talking to my teammates, I'm connecting with people, I'm cheering with my opponents because our diving world is so small mm-hmm. and I was in that meet and something just said, you know, just stay quiet, just stay calm 
for whatever reason, but this is the the right thing for you to do right now. And it it wasn't totally out of my norm, but it was just a different presence. And and it, it was cool. Like it it, yeah. it it worked, even though it wasn't necessarily my automatic thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you you responded to something in the moment that mm-hmm. you, a, a felt need, a perceived need, something. And that, <clears throat> I mean, that only comes from a practice of just regular self-awareness, regular mm-hmm. self-monitoring, like attending to what's going on physically, mentally, emotionally. And that, that doesn't happen by accident, right? That's, a, that's right. an intentional practice. So by having that practice that allowed you to tune in in that moment to what specifically you needed mm-hmm. and you listened and, and you followed through on that. That's, that's pretty cool. And I think that, I mean, that that's a good segue into us talking about um, the professional aspect of what you do mm-hmm. with chiropractic care um, because we need to, that, that's a practice for health and wellness is that we need to be able to check in with ourselves. We mm-hmm. need to be able to monitor ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, um, and, you know, we were talking before I, I hit record here and, and I said, my assumption that I want to check out with you is that people come into the clinic because something has gone wrong and they can't ignore it anymore. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're generally more apt to avoid and ignore things um, for as long as possible, especially if it's going to be disruptive to what our plan is or what the day-to-day structure is. But then when we experience something that is debilitating or exceedingly painful, that's when it kind of propels people to seek out care, to seek out mm-hmm. services and those kind of things. And and you were kind of saying, yeah, that's usually the gateway. Mm-hmm. People walk into the clinic and something has gone wrong. Can you, I don't know, can you talk just a little bit about that kind of initial engagement piece yeah for sure um it, it kind of the the paradigm that we were talking about was a um, reactive versus proactive approach to things and we know us as humans we love our habits we love our patterns we love our day-to-day that doesn't change and when something more or less forces that to change that's hard and and that's i joke around with some of my patients but one of the things that brings people into my clinic the most isn't because they're in pain because they can't sleep. Mm. And for the most part, we all need sleep. Yeah. Whether yeah, you want to admit to it or not. Pretty important. Yeah. And so I always found that fascinating of like, well, sleep isn't the problem. It's this pain that we're, you know, enduring for whatever reason. And that is causing this ripple effect. So why didn't we just address that? Why did we have to wait until now it's starting to knock down all these other dominoes in our life that we don't like? Mm-hmm. And so I think the first step that I end up starting with a lot of patients is just awareness and, and how, how powerful that can be. Because when, when we let the human body just kind of go into autopilot, and, and I think, this, I guess this is my assumption, this goes from the physical standpoint, but also the mental and emotional, it can run on patterns all day long. Mm. And it may not kick out whether that pattern is good or bad right away until we get down the road. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in this place that isn't good, whether that's because of pain or some type of mental health thing. Yeah. And, and now we want it addressed. And so 
when I try and kind of help people open their eyes and be more in tune to that, that allows them to better evaluate their situation, hopefully make better decisions for themselves and just steer towards a different path. And, and my favorite thing with that is they get to do that. Mm. I don't have to be in the middle of that Mm -hmm. when I can help people develop that skill and that understanding. Now the power is in their hands. And I think that as clinicians, regardless of what realm you're in is one of the greatest, whether we want to call it a gift or a service that we can provide. That's one of the best things that we can all do is teach people that empowerment, that independence for things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly scary for people too. Big time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, uh, I, I've, a lot of what you just said resonates with me as a, as a mental health professional too, because, um, you know, people don't come into counseling, uh, when things are going super well for them. right? Right. I mean, that, that's just, that's the reality of it. And that, that's the paradigm that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's in the U.S. because we have such a medical model mm-hmm. that focuses on pathology and symptom reduction or alleviation like that. That's the for sure. You go in, you you fix me, or you do something, and so that I can go back and keep mm-hmm. doing what I was doing. Yep. So and, and you know, quote unquote, living my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but when uh, it's it's real challenging at times when. Uh, clients come in for counseling and things are are not on a positive trajectory in life, but the only uh, initial focus at least is on how do I cope with this? Like how do, how do I just manage this mm-hmm. so that it is less problematic and then I can continue when the reality is is what we end up often talking about are, uh, trajectory changes, you know, yeah. like new behaviors, new ways of relating, new ways of thinking that are going to put them on a tra- trajectory towards health and wellness. And that means kind of letting go of or giving up certain things that, well, it's just the way it's always been, you know, right. patterns in their life. And I got to imagine from a physical standpoint, when somebody comes in, just based on what you've said, it sounds like there's a parallel there. It's like Dr. Luke get rid of this so that I can sleep. (laughs) Right. But, but not really looking necessarily for input or, or consultation on what other changes they might need to make Mm -hmm. in their day-to-day life physically so that they can Mm -hmm. have better sleep. Is that totally? Yeah. Yeah. How do you bridge that gap? I'm I'm just curious from one professional Mm -hmm. to to another, like how do you, how do you bridge that? I guess what I try and really do is, one, share the facts with people mm. because we all have ideas of certain things. We all have perceptions, past experiences that that shape how certain things impact us. And some of those aren't always rooted in fact or, you know, what I would just say, it's an educated understanding of it. Yeah. They're rooted in, you know, maybe someone else's ideas. And the crazy thing about the human mind and the human body is we can grab onto those and make it a real thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, yeah, if you ever want to see me make like a really sour, uncomfortable face in practice, <laughs> have someone say, you healed me and just watch like my visceral response. Because <laughs> that's not how it works. Yeah. But but that is still the approach that some people have. And, and I'm 
I could probably handle it a little more gracefully <laughs> when that comes up, but I'd try and really slow them down and be like, that's, you know, I'm just trying to open a door or an opportunity for you to heal, for you to get better, for you to make better decisions. I'm a facilitator. My hands aren't magical. I wish that they were, that would be cool. But, but at the end of the day, that's not how it works. And so when you really get people to understand kind of those intricacies, you slowly see their mind shift and their perspective shift. And one of the best things for me as a clinician, like when I have a patient that comes in and says, Hey, we had this conversation about this. When I approached, you know, we'll just say a training session. Initially, this is what I did. And this is how my body responded. After our conversation and just learning through that a little bit more, I had the same situation pop up. I handled it differently based off of my understanding and my outcome was very different in a positive way. Mm -hmm. That is literally the best thing that I could hear yeah. because you, you shape that understanding in a place that hopefully is more truthful at the end of the day. That's kind of the goal, um, but is also more empowering again, kind of that same topic. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Uh, I mean, it, it just comes back to a informed, uh, educated knowledge um, is really about, you know, it's equipping the person to then be able to make choices and discern for themselves. Okay, well, like now I do have a choice. It's not, mm -hmm. this is the way I do it or I, or I don't do it, right? <clears throat> but here are some alternative pathways that I consider. And, um, and I, I'm sure, you know, just again, knowing you, you know, you establish a, a, a good working relationship with that person that's built on, you know, trust and respect mm -hmm. and those kind of things. So then say, okay, well, if Dr. Luke is kind of encouraging me to approach it this way or, or do these, maybe these exercises at home or something sure. like that in between treatments. And I, I should really try and follow through on that, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that in some ways, a lot of what counseling have in in terms of what the outcome of counseling is, mm -hmm. a lot of that's based on the quality of the relationship between the the counselor and the client. Big time. And I've it, it just seems like, again, there's another parallel yep. in your practice. One of the notes that I wrote down when you sent me those questions was, um, I think one of the, the obstacles that our medical system has is the relationships between, I think, a lot of clinicians, again, regardless of realm, and their, their relationship with patients is just very thin. Mm. And, and it's hard to have an impact when, when the time isn't there or the being able to mold to what that patient needs. And um, it kind of goes back to why I ended up in private practice. Mm -hmm. Like I, I ended up finding a, a place where we could create that. Yeah. Um, and kind of circling back to when you mentioned like, we get in situations sometimes where like the patient's focus is how can I cope with this, right? They don't necessarily want to change a trajectory or something like that. Um, something that's super interesting to me, you know, let's, let's just say they're dealing with pain because that's an easy topic to, to bring in. There are some times where you do have to focus on the pain. You can't just say like, Hey, this exercise is going to make that better. Hey, you know, if we do this differently, that's going to make it better. If, you know, we can't always take that big jump first, sometimes we have to just create an environment to let, I, I think of it as like turning that volume down mm -hmm. so then they can take that next step. Mm -hmm. And I think one of, 
that's just a challenge to know when, when do we hit the gas and when do we go and when do we push and encourage them? And, you know, when do we hit the brakes? When do we really stop? We just be present, you know, more so cater to what they think they need. Mm -hmm. Even if we know long-term that might not be the, the best route. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and you're, you're absolutely right. There's, and I'm not belittling or, or negating like the importance of being able to cope with and manage. Right. And it's a skill. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have that. And here, here's another point as you bring up pain, like uh, pain and wellness are on two different lines, I think, mm. because wellness does not mean the absence of pain. Correct. Right. Well, wellness it has a separate definition that I think is, um, well, we can talk about that mm -hmm. from a holistic standpoint, sure. but pain is something that is also a reality in our life. Mm -hmm. um, and at times the volume is turned up on that pain. And, and then there are times when we can turn it down or life turns it down and that's great. But that um, is like independent of our overall wellness. Yep. I think that's a huge thing for people to really understand one of kind of an example that I use is like, if we didn't have pain in life, I don't think there'd be as many of us around mm. because pain ends up usually, well, let me rephrase that pain ends up being a good indicator of something that maybe we shouldn't do. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's a protective mechanism. Sometimes it is right. Sometimes we shouldn't do it <laughs> or, or yeah. bad things happen. Yeah. And so that skill comes, comes around to like, one understanding why is my pain volume where it's at? Mm. Can I attach it to something or can I at least look at all the factors that go into that and try and understand what is my body telling me? And then once you kind of have that understanding, then it shifts over to, okay, how can I control that? How can I manage it? Mm. Because pain in and of itself, not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. It's a part of how our body functions at a, at a very high level. I think it just ends up getting a, a bad rap because of the perspective or, or how it's, you know, utilized or expressed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, the guys that I have run with, um, we have, uh, we've talked about this and, you know, the reality is, is if you're pursuing any athletic uh, goal or effort at some point injury, is going to be a reality. Like mm -hmm. you will get hurt. And whether that's, you know, overextending yourself or pushing too hard, or it's just a fluke. I mean, that that's a reality. So we, we always talk about like pushing through effort-based pain is, is a productive thing like that. That's going to uh, kind of, we talk about like chiseling out the pain cave, mm -hmm. you know, like making mm -hmm. more room in there. And so pushing through effort-based pain is good and productive, mm -hmm. and um, but pushing through injury-based pain is just stupid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> to, to put it bluntly, like if you if you're hurt, um, and and you're trying to push through that in order to keep, you're you're probably doing more harm than you are any good. Um, yeah, I, I would say I wish it was that black and white, mm -hmm. right? Like we all would. Yeah. Um, it really comes down to understanding the difference and then also understanding that when it comes to pain, sometimes our body's wrong 
And, and it is just there because of a pattern that our bodies developed. Um, and, and we have to fight through it. And that all starts with having that awareness mm -hmm. of like, have I felt this before? Have we been in the same situation before? Um, am I just deconditioned to this thing? Is this new? Can I not tolerate it? Um, and really knowing where you are on that spectrum. It's like, um, like you look at, um, you see videos of like old karate people like punching trees mm -hmm. and they do it without wincing once, right? You think the first time that they punched it, it felt good? Probably not, no. but they understood that process. They understood I can condition my body. I can develop a tolerance to this where this is not going to have a negative impact on me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, it's a building process for sure that happens over time. But so, so let, let's kind of dive into this a little bit deeper. Uh, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, so when you're seeing somebody and they are experiencing, you know, pain and discomfort um, and maybe they're, there is like an injury sure. involved, you mm -hmm. know, whether that's in their, their back or skeletal system, muscular system, but you are also, you know, you're making an adjustment or mm -hmm. you're doing some uh, other soft tissue um, yep. treatments or something like that. There can be pain and discomfort mm -hmm. in that too. Sure. And then when you're telling them, okay, do these stretches or these exercises or, you know, this, uh, PT type thing, mm -hmm. like there could be discomfort in that yep. too. So how do you, <clears throat> I don't know, how do you coach or kind of educate people to say, well, you know, what's productive mm -hmm. and then when does it flip over into something that isn't productive? Sure. I know um, that's a big question Yeah, <laughs> and it's probably, I know you're going to say, well, it depends upon the person and it depends upon the situation, mm -hmm. but I want to go a little bit further than that. Like what, like what principles are you trying to apply sure. in those situations is yep. what I'm asking. Sure. So I try and break it down into like two learning periods of like, let's just use low back pain, for example. Yep. Say Very we, common. Yep. Say we hurt our low back shoveling, which I'm sure will happen today to a couple <laughs> people. Um, one thing that I gauge it with is how does it feel when we're doing certain activities, right? Like, okay, I hurt my low back. Now when I bend forward to put on my shoes, um, I get low back pain. That in the moment sensation is really good information in terms of like, how are we progressing, right? How it also feels afterwards, because we've all had delayed muscle soreness, delayed discomfort from things, right? Yep. Is kind of this second phase, the second period of how is my body responding outside of that moment? It's more of like a processing pain. And, and that's one of the things that I try and get people to understand. So like bringing it back to a treatment, say we're working on just restoring normal range of motion, desensitizing some pain that we know is just very protective. If we know that the pain in that treatment is kind of because of those things, we're able to kind of talk our way through being able to tolerate through it. Mm -hmm. But if someone is laying there and I push on their low back and that hurts and their only understanding is pain is bad, they're not going to do a very good job of relaxing and kind of letting, letting us work through this treatment. Right. Um, 
So that's kind of how I'd coach people through that moment. But we also have to establish boundaries Yeah. where we also know that if we're doing a therapy and it's hitting such a high pain marker for them that they're not able to control it, they're not able to stay present, they're not able to do those things, that that could be beyond us getting benefit from it. That could end up being negative because pain is one of those things where if the volume is on and you keep hitting that volume button over and over and over again, now it becomes a pattern. And and we need to know when we're reinforcing it in a, in a positive way of like desensitizing or building that tolerance. Mm-hmm. And when we're literally just hitting pain and making pain. Yeah. 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 No, that's that. Oh, man, there's just so many overlaps too from like a mental health standpoint um, with what you're talking about, because uh, I had mentioned my, my perception is that we're really good at avoiding and we're mm-hmm. really good at um, trying to ignore things. So whether it's physical pain or whether it's like a mental health or emotional issue, I think it's like there, there's a tendency to just like avoid that. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you have worked with people and they've developed some workarounds because maybe they have mm-hmm. pain with something. It's like, well, I can't do that motion or I can't move in that way mm-hmm. without there being pain. So I just don't do that at all. And right. you know, what ends up happening is that I'm sure that there's then some uh, weaknesses that develop as mm-hmm. a result of that, mm-hmm. um, that becomes harder than for them to overcome. And it's the same thing from a mental health standpoint. Like I have things that bother me. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe there are, um, we'll, we'll just stick with anxiety, you know, triggers that induce my anxiety and I just avoid those. But then I'm like kind of cutting off a whole part of maybe my life, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's that so- social relationships or um, performance-based activities at work or at school or something like that. It's like, I just don't do it because I'm uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I'm anxious. Right. And right. it's the same thing. I just don't do that because it's painful. Cause it hurts. Yeah. It yeah. hurts. And I don't want to do that. So it is kind of like a, a gradual exposure and kind of working into that. Mm-hmm. To, I like that word tolerance, kind of building that tolerance for the discomfort. Right. I think with the hope though, that it's not just that you get better at tolerating it, but that eventually that pain does diminish as well. Yeah. And that, that brings up one of the points of like, we have to remember that our body is structured to heal. And, and as long as we understand that and we respect those things, it's going to continue to do it because that's, that's how it's wired. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like we'll use your running as an example, you go run a marathon if you get up the next day and try and run a marathon again, it's probably not going to be the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because we haven't had that healing time, that healing process. Some people can, right? There are yeah, outliers. They're, they're, yeah, outliers. There's a f- some very fraction of a percentage of people that can do that day in and day out. Yeah. Um, but I also get people to understand that about healing from an injury. So before I even treat, anybody, one of the things that I really like to tell them, so we'll use low back pain as, a, as an example. Yeah. Let's say it's nonspecific. <laughs> they heard it shoveling snow. As long as we respect those healing boundaries, chances are their low back pain is going to get better in the next two to six, maybe eight weeks, even if I don't do a single thing because mm. that's how the body works. Yeah. But my goal is how can I enhance that process can I make this healing 
more comfortable? Can I make the healing happen in an environment that's more tolerable? They're able to get back to their things sooner. Um, and some people, when I tell them that, they're like, well, I don't have eight weeks for this to, mm-hmm. to you know, hurt. I'm like, that's not the point I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to make is as long as we understand it and we make smart choices, this doesn't need to turn into a long-term thing. You don't have to need me to get through this process, but I'm here to help. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So let's, um, let's move along that continuum of, of health and wellness. And we, you know, we've talked a lot about pain and pain management and healing from injury, healing, you know, from pain, tolerating pain. But then as we move towards that, that, uh, other side of the spectrum where we're trying to promote our health Mm -hmm. and wellness, wellness through, uh, specific, you know, activities, regular, mm-hmm. regular kinds of things. This, you know, this falls in line with, you know, paying attention to my diet and and making um, informed choices nutritionally, and then uh, exercising and doing that from an educated. Where where does chiropractic care kind of contribute, or or where does it fall in that area of promoting and sustaining a person's wellness? Sure. So. At the basis of the chiropractic profession, I think we really are based in wellness and and holistic health. That's kind of what it's founded on. Um, It's just we also work really, really well in the pain management world. So it kind of puts us on both ends of those spectrums. But I I think it, it fits a little different for everybody. But I think one of the ways that it fits, like if I look at my population of patients that come in because it's a part of their health routine, I think one of the most advantageous parts of that is it gives them a space to check in. It gives them a space and somebody hopefully that they trust where they're able to say, you know, here's what my last month has been like. Here's been my training. Here's been some of the other things going on in my life. This is how my body is responding to that. And kind of back to the coaching thing. My goal is, can we identify whether we're going on the right path or on a good path? Are we getting the things that we want out of that month or do we need to modify and make some changes? And, and I think that like, I'll never be able to say, Hey, we saved you from having low back pain or Hey, we saved you from X, Y, and Z. Like we can't do that. But what we can say is, Hey, we continue to learn through this process. We continue to manage some of these situations or opportunities, hopefully better than had we not had that, education and understanding and and we may not even see all those benefits but when you reflect back you think okay that was a you know I managed my health really well over the last year um and that you know and right now it ends up being an interesting topic because of the world setting yeah where where health now has a, a spotlight on it a little more than normal um but I think that check-in is super good for people and also a time to just slow down, connect. I, one of my other favorite things about my practice is people will come in and they'll say, I know you're a chiropractor and I know you do like bones and joints and muscles and, and whatnot, but I have a weird question. Mm. And I, I like, I sit down in my chair and I get my whiteboard. I'm like, bring it on. Like, yeah. Let's do that. Um, and like, I guess one of those examples is like, I talk about 
women hormones in menstrual cycles more than I ever, ever, ever thought that I would have. Um, but it plays such a huge part in people's health. Yeah. And they might not have a place to talk about that. And if I can act as even a first step or an open door for them to ask the question, maybe I can help them or guide them in the right direction. Hopefully we just increase their chances of getting to the right person that can help them with that. But what's so hard about our healthcare system being so reactive is no one goes in when things feel good, when they just have a question because mm-hmm. it costs how much money Sure, and it takes so much time and it does all those things where we get to work as kind of this little hub of like, here's a checkpoint, mm-hmm. come in, do an audit of yourself. Let's see if we have any questions and if we have to navigate or not. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, we've we've been talking about another continuum of like reactivity to then moving into a place where you're able to respond mm-hmm. to things, but now what you're talking about is that proactive side where, you know, this this is something that you have worked into your routine, have worked into your wellness plan and say, okay, these are my touch points mm-hmm. for my physical health for and then from my standpoint like these are the touch points for my emotional health and my relational health and those kind of things. So <clears throat> I see that, um, you know, a, a clinic like the way that you run yours really does invite people to be able to have those touch points in whatever level of frequency or intensity or whatever it is that, that you know, they want to do. Um, but it's, it's an opportunity and... Um, and I'm sure, again, because you've established those relationships built on trust and respect, that you have folks bringing all sorts of things mm-hmm. to you that are not specifically chiropractic yeah. related. Yeah. yeah. Even though, I mean, it's all interconnected. Yeah. And, and that's another thing that I guess the way that we try and educate everybody is there is all that overlap, right? And so when you open their eyes to see how those other factors play into factors. Um, Like when I tell someone, so we know that our low back pain is impacted by if we've had a previous injury, if, if we've had a previous trauma before, our socioeconomic status impacts how we perceive pain, or at least our experience with it. Um, If we have some type of mental health things, it has an impact on how we feel pain and we can go through a long list of things. And initially a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, like that is so many things that can make my back hurt. And I try and flip it and say, really what it is, is here are all these opportunities or these places that we can make a little step to hopefully make this whole thing move forward and get better. And when you open up their eyes to the opportunities for health, for that type of proactivity, um, you can totally take their quality of life, at least in my mind, and bring them to a whole new place. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's super important for people to have those check-ins, whether it is with a chiropractor or a PT or some type of counselor or psychologist or, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier, like the spectrum of counseling, yeah. right? Um, there are so many different options out there. You just got to find the right fit for you and and make sure that it is a place where it's safe. You're, you're in tune, you feel connected, you feel heard and, and that you, you can keep taking those steps forward for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, 
um, what do people look for? You know, when, so I, I have, I don't know, the privilege of having had uh, chiropractic care, um, really just kind of a part of my life since, I mean, like grade school age. Sure. Um, I was in martial arts for a lot of years and um, there's a, I would say a, a Maybe there was a higher level of acceptance or encouragement for holistic health and wellness within that community, f- community of mm-hmm. martial arts. Um, and so things like acupuncture, acupressure, chiropractic care, like these things were much, much more like just commonplace. And I mean, this is, this is a while ago, you know, 30, mm-hmm. 30 sure. years ago. Um, <clears throat> and so while those things seem more at the forefront of like alternative options from like going to into a primary care doctor, which I think is super, super important. People still need to utilize and access primary care uh, medical services. But what we're talking about is kind of in addition to that. Um, And so I I guess I kind of have just grown up knowing what to look for. My dad went to a chiropractor for a long time for in, in his life. And so I just started going at a young age. And so that's kind of already just been in my mind, but for a lot of people, that's maybe not the case Mm -hmm. and maybe um, they've had limited or no experience with it. So yeah, help us out. Where do they even start? What do they look for in trying to discern what kind of care I should engage in? Mm -hmm. I think one of the best things, and I'm trying to think of like how to effectively do that is, um, you know, look for the community that ends up being created around that clinic, right? Like, do do people go into this place and do they seem to walk out having the experience that you think you're looking for, right? Um, and I think the big thing is like go to some place that'll listen. And and I tell everybody too. People have questions like, "Hey, my mom or a family member or friend has this going on. Um, do you think they would benefit from this or not?" And I tell everybody like call, schedule a time, and we'll just sit down and talk. And people within it then all of a sudden can give you some probably much broader guidance in terms of that situation. And and now that next step gets much smaller. But I, like chiropractic is a good example. Within our profession, we have sports chiropractors, which is kind of what we, you know, put in air quotes, specialize at our clinic. Mm-hmm. Um there are people that specialize in childcare chiropractic. There are people that specialize in more of a radiology side of chiropractic. There's people that specialize more on like the rehab or what I would say like PT side of things where it's, you know, maybe less adjusting or certain things. Mm-hmm. There's chiropractors that only do acupuncture. Um, one of the cool things that's come out of the pandemic is there are chiropractors that only do telehealth. Mm, really? And that is Uh, very mind-blowing for a lot of people. But to me, it's a cool example of like, okay, if they're not going to physically adjust someone or do soft tissue work, but they can still get people better through education and instruction, holy cow, like Mm -hmm. that is a really cool tool that we should be utilizing. And so, you know, I guess do your investigating on people's websites or ask people. Are know. there any credentials specifically that people should look for? Um, there are. 
So there are certain certifications or whatnot for those specialists. Um, most don't have them. Um, so if, if you're able to say like, Hey, I'm an athlete, I do sports things. I want somebody that knows sports stuff. Yeah. Look for someone that has, it's a CCSP certificate behind it. Um, but most people on their website, they'll show it. Yeah. Right. Cause I, I think from a business standpoint, we want to create a specific community and those are typically the people that we want to work with and help. Mm-hmm. So it'll, it'll probably be projected in some way. Um, so I, I think most people end up doing website stuff, but the other thing is just listen to people. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I would say 90% of the patients that come to my clinic are because of people that come to the clinic. And, and that's kind of, we set it up that way almost on purpose. Like I want, I don't want flashy lights to get people's attention. I don't want fireworks at the front door. Like I don't want that stuff. I want people's experience and and what they seem to get in terms of the value that we add to kind of speak for it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when, as I've moved around in my life, that's, it's been both the, both ways that I've accessed services is word of mouth, you know, especially when I was back in Sioux Falls, like those, there's an awesome running community and, you know, like runners just talk, you mm-hmm. know, and they're like, oh, I was having this thing and I went to see this person and, you know, and it's like that, that, that was how um, I got connected with, with providers there. But then there have been other times where it's like, I'm new, so I'm just looking up, I'm going mm-hmm. online and I'm re- reading about the services that they provide. And yeah, exactly the, what they their target audience appears to be based on the services that they're providing and the language that they use. And so that that's, yeah, I think both really good pieces. Yeah. I, I guess another example of that is, um, I guess my other advice is ask questions. That's the big thing. And you'll be able to tell right away by how someone either answers your question or responds to that, Mm -hmm. whether it's going to probably be a good fit for you or not. Yeah. And I had a patient come in this week for the first time to our clinic and, and they came in and literally said, I am chiropractic shopping. Mm. Like, I just want you to know that I'm in the area and I'm looking for the right chiropractor for me. Yeah. Awesome. And my response to that typically is let's hope, let's find it, whether mm-hmm. that's here or not. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I'm not going to be the perfect clinician for everybody. Um, and I'm okay with that, but let's find you who is. Yeah. And you know, Hopefully you enjoy it and you stay. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, like <laughs> also getting them to that next place is also a service. All right. I got another uh, curiosity question for you mm-hmm. that, um, you know, there's a lot of at home things uh, that mm-hmm. folks can do, uh, you know, like foam rolling, um, even, uh, you know, there are tools that are sold like that do Graston essentially, mm-hmm. but they're kind of self yep. like at Graston home at, mm-hmm. at home type things. Um, there's things like Theraguns now. Um, there's acupressure mats and all, all these different kind of at home mm-hmm. tools. Um, I don't know. Do you have, do you have input in that whole kind of market of at home kind of self care things? Yeah. So I guess first what I would say is I get really excited when people just want to do self care. So if there's ways that we can encourage them and do it and also do it in like an ethical way and in a way that like makes sense with their understanding of the process. Awesome. You know, I I get questions all the time like, hey, my uncle has an inversion table and he lays upside down for five minutes every day 
and he loves it. And then they're like, should I do that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like maybe yeah. they work really well for some people. They really work not well for others. Mm. So it gets into that self-experimenting of how does my body respond to this? Because if someone comes into my clinic and says, well, when I go do my inversion chair at home, I'm able to do 95% of the things that I want to do in life. Mm. Why would I ever want to take that away if, if they're not risking something, if they're not losing something to that? Um, and it puts them in control. Yeah. So, so a lot of that, though, the golden answer of it depends. Mm -hmm. But I tell people, if it works for you and, and you're really in tune to things and you have a, a good enough understanding to make that decision, awesome. Go for it. I think yeah. more people need to do that yeah. in general. Yeah. No, that, and that's something, I mean, that I have definitely grown kind of into over mm -hmm. time, uh, you know, where it was like, I wasn't, <clears throat> I would say for a long time, I was not sharing very much responsibility with my providers. I mm. was kind of giving them a lot of responsibility for making sure that I was okay yep. and kind yep. of taking care of Ben. Um, but over time, I've really taken on more responsibility with that and tried to pr be more educated and say, okay, well, and, and sometimes I still mess it up, mm -hmm. you know, you know that, like I was using my Theragun the other week and I went overkill and like totally popped one of my ribs yeah, and that was, happens. you know, um, so it's not like a perfect thing, but yeah, I think it's for me, it's thinking about sharing that responsibility that mm -hmm. when you go to somebody that you're seeking services from that you aren't looking to them as the the answer. The answer. Yeah. But that you have some responsibility there as well. And there are things that you can do at home and make that investment in yourself, mm -hmm. essentially, to be able to to do some of that self-care as in a more routine way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like kind of the to the self-care point of when, you know, people might mess it up sometimes, fail forward. Yeah. Right. Like learn. I did. Yeah. And, <laughs> Painfully. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and then hopefully we make a, a different or a better decision the next time. Yeah. 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 No, I'm not getting rid of my Theragun. I love that thing. Yeah. So it's, it's a, good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and they do not sponsor the podcast. So it's like, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah, right. But if you're looking for a sponsorship, Theragun. Exactly. So. All right. Um, so Luke, how, if people want to, get in touch with you. Um, maybe they have some follow-up questions. Maybe they want to seek out services with you. How, mm -hmm. how, what's the best way to get in touch with you or learn more about Kinetic, those kind of things? Sure. So um, I tell people if you're interested in clinic stuff, just call the clinic. That's really the easiest. And um, I'm always open to setting up a time for a phone conversation or if someone wants to just come in and talk. Um, I do my best to, to manage that time effectively. Mm -hmm. um, but call us at the clinic. The number is 507-345-7836. I'll link all this information any that, yeah. you, that you have in the okay. show notes so yeah. people can access that. Yeah, perfect. Um, my email is drweber at kinetic-chiro. So, um, you know, unfortunately we live and die by email these days. Mm, I, know. I, I would much rather have a face-to-face -face conversation. Um those are probably the two best ways. I guess follow us on Instagram. I'm never on Instagram. It blows my <laughs> mind how big of a thing that is, but uh, we try and share some good stuff. Yeah. Um, 
let people know kind of what we're a part of, who we're doing work with, um, just other things that we're involved in. So that's that's probably the best. Um, you can also catch me on a lot of different pool decks, <laughs> depending <laughs> on where you're at. Um, but yeah, contact-wise, that's probably the best. Cool, cool. So what's you're looking ahead at uh, a new year here, 2022, what's on the horizon for you personally, professionally that you're looking forward to? Sure. God, I love these short questions. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> um, I guess the biggest thing for us, so I purchased the clinic that I'm at about six months ago, seven months ago. So 2021 was very much, hey, let's get through the year and just figure out what it looks like then. Mm -hmm. um, now that our feet are settled, uh, we're just trying to, what I think is a really good thing at the community and just grow that into, in, or we have our own community, but we want to grow that into the bigger community of Mankato. Awesome. Um, it's super cool to be back home and to do that stuff and just to have a totally different viewpoint on things. But now we're just looking to get connected, you know, do more things like this, like a, I'm super pumped that this is my first podcast <laughs> to be on and I'm going to be on another podcast on Sunday. So it's one of those things of like cool. you open the door, you let the universe do its thing mm -hmm. and, and good stuff happens. So we're looking at that stuff, looking to get connected with other clinics in the area. Again, like I'm, I'm not going to be the right person for everybody and that's okay. I also don't have all the answers. There's lots of people that are way smarter than I am. So the hope is, we surround ourselves with those people and just continue to learn. Um, I hope my clinic looks different every year mm. because that means we're, we're changing, we're updating, we're hopefully doing something better. And I, again, going back to the point of, I never wanted to be a solo business owner. I never wanted to work by myself, but here I am. I would love to grow a team. Mm. I'd love to grow other people. And that doesn't even have to just be in the physical health world. Um, some of the best conversations that I have is with other people in, in the mental health space and realizing there is so much between us that we can do if, if we're open to it. Um, I just finished reading a book called Range by David Epstein. And the big thing that he talks about in that book is right now we live in a world of just super specialization. Mm. And because everybody is in their, their silo of expertise, that that's all we see. And, and we miss so many of these low hanging fruit and these would end up being simple solutions because we can't quite look around. Mm -hmm. And, and the goal is to always continue to develop that. Yeah. My, uh, my funny story about over-specializing mm -hmm. <laughs> when I worked at the hospital, um, <clears throat> this was actually at a Christmas party. One of the physicians in the office that I worked in, her husband was a physician, um, I think cardiology or something like that. And older guy had been around for a really long time, just excellent, uh, but had no problem ever talking about his opinions on things. Sure. And, and he was like, he's like, the problem with these new doctors that are coming in is that they want to over-specialize. Mm -hmm. And so what you end up with you know, is somebody coming into your hospital that wants to be a pediatric left eye doctor. Right, right. You know, and it's like, I only want to see left eyes, not yeah. right eyes. You yep. know? And I just, that it helps me put things in perspective and step back. And like, no, we, we need to have a broad understanding of our health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And so I've just so appreciated our, our conversation today, Luke. It's been wonderful having you here. Um, I, 
I hope that we could do this again in I the future. Too. I think this is a, a great collaboration. So it's just been awesome. Yeah. Really grateful. Thanks. Yeah, honored to be here. Absolutely. A big thank you to Dr. Luke for joining the WellMind community. And thank you for spending your time with me today. If you enjoyed our conversation, please check out previous episodes and click rate and subscribe through your podcast app. Let people know about the WellMind and maybe share the episode with someone you think might enjoy giving it a listen. Please check out the links in the show notes for Dr. Luke's website and socials. Many thanks to the staff here and the Bethany Lutheran College podcast studio. It's great having you on the team, Matt. And thanks to Lauren McMacken for designing the logo and cover art. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, be well.